you, you may not know it, but there is a battle ongoing, a war for your entertainment eyes. You could go to Netflix today, and on one hand, you could watch the show about becoming a minimalist, about, you know, if, if that thing doesn't spark joy, getting rid of it, right, right out of your house. But on the other hand, you could go and watch the show Hoarders, <laughs> and it's completely different, Right? And somewhere, you are along this spectrum, somewhere. I know many of you really liked that show, uh, Minimalism, or whatever it was called. Loved it. However, I've been in a lot of your homes. (laughs) And while you might like it, it hasn't really taken root, has it? See, if, if we're being honest, we all have a tendency to hoard. I mean, you all have that drawer at your house that has the most important documents and also a bunch of trash, right? (laughs) Same place. Today, I'd like to talk a little bit about our tendency to hoard. I'm going to welcome you this morning to Crosspoint. Thank you for being here, whether you're online or here in person. Thank you for starting your week here with us as the body of Christ. Our hope every time we come together is that we are encouraged that we're lifted up, and that we're challenged also. And today, I hope you already heard that challenge from Lori. Did you watch all of those kids come up here? They just kept coming and coming. I mean, I was like, I don't know, know half of those kids. But, <laughs> but Lori does, and you do. And those kids, we want to lay a foundation of faith just like one was laid for you. And so we need you to say yes this year. We need you to say yes to volunteering in our children's ministry. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's for somebody else. I uh, don't know what I would be doing. Well, we have a training coming up, so we have that. And you might go, well, I really don't know how to do it. You know, that's Lori. One of the things she does so well is she gets the classroom. Her and Tana get the classroom ready. We'll get you ready. Whatever your excuse is, they are ready to meet that excuse, okay? You have no excuse, We want to pass our faith on. We want to build that foundation, and it takes all of us. We want uh, the future church to be just as strong as this present church is. So we need you to say yes uh, to our children today. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We're going to be uh, reading from that here in just a minute. Today we're going to be finishing a series called I Give Up. It's all about surrender, giving your life up for Christ. Instead of living by the world's ways, we want to live according to how he calls us to live. And you know this to be true, that your way doesn't work as well as we would like it to, does it? The world's ways will only work for a short amount of time, if at all. We want to live according to how God calls us to live. And so we, we, we talked about, at the beginning, about putting this faith into action. It's not about our beliefs or our ideas. It's about putting it into action. We talked about making time for it. And last week we talked about our relationships, how people have the ability to draw us to Christ or away. And about how we want to use our story, what God has done in our life, to bring others to him. And so today we'll, we'll tackle our last subject, and we'll start in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, great, it's the money sermon. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Somebody in here is here for the first time, and then they just leaned over and went, I can't believe we came today. But let me tell you what this sermon is not. This sermon will not be a please give more sermon, though that would be welcomed. What, what this sermon is, is just like we have been doing, we want to talk about the patterns that we've been in. You know, we've, we've been talking about out of Romans chapter 12, not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed. And far too often we are conformed to the pattern of the world, aren't, aren't we? especially when it comes to our finances, when it comes to the, the things that we have. And I, so I want you to think about your patterns. I want you to think about how it is you are oriented when it comes to your finances. Far too many of us, our finances, the way we operate in that realm is exactly like anybody else. But if we're going to be a member of the kingdom, Jesus wants to reorient us to our things, to our possessions, to our finances. And you might also ask yourself, I mean, is this something we really have to talk about? And I would say yes, because Jesus talked about it. In fact, almost more than anything else, Jesus talked about your stuff. He talked about your finances because he knew that there was little else that might come between you and he. He knew that we would have this propensity to care more about our stuff than anything else. And so he wants you to think about it. He knew that we would be the the kind of people who might hoard things, who might store up for ourselves treasures here on earth rather than where we're supposed to, tour, to, to store them up. And so we're going to talk about this because this is what Jesus talked about. And so here's one of the, my convictions as I read Scripture. One of my convictions is that Jesus is a genius and that Jesus knows what he's talking about and that he's worthy of our trust. And if this is something that he said would be difficult for us, then we should pay attention to it. And so he says, don't store up where moths can destroy, where rust happens, but store up in heaven. And he says this line that I've thought a lot about over my life. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And none of those words individually are very difficult, but I think it's hard to understand. Because if you're anything like me, when I read that, I read it exactly opposite of what he means. So what I read is I read, well, you know, what I really care about, that's what I'll treasure. As if, if my most important thing in my life was baseball, I might treasure baseball cards, for instance. That's not what he says. He says, your heart. And when he talks about your heart, what he means is your, your whole self, who you are, your, your true self. Not the false self, not the things that you want to portray to other people, but the core of who you are. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's, it's opposite of how I think it will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So how do, how do we know what we treasure? And it can be a little bit difficult for us to understand, but think about it this way. What's the thing that if you lost it would make you the saddest? 
the thing or the person? What's the thing in your life that you would never want to lose? Or maybe, you know, choose a child or a spouse or a friend, someone trusted in your life and ask them, what is it that I treasure? What seems to be the most important thing to me? Jesus talks about our eyes, and it's as if he's saying, fix your eyes on the right thing. Because if you're fixing them incorrectly, you'll be led down the wrong path. It's as if he says, if our eyes are not clear on this matter, our whole life will be distorted. We need to be clear about that which we care about, the things that we're going to treasure. And this, the last section here, in, in verse 24, it's, I think, maybe the hardest part. So we live in a country and we value our freedom, but what he says here is, you will have a master. You will either serve God or something else. God or money. Choose. And choose wisely. You're going to serve one. You're going to be devoted to one, and you can only serve one. You can't serve both. So we have to choose wisely what we're going to treasure the things that our heart is going to follow after. You may know this about me, but my family, we love Christmas. And we practice it way too soon. I know and we're not going to get into that today because, you know, we're, we're honestly not trying to work on that. So, <laughs> But we had a friend in our life that, that they uh, knew how much we liked Christmas, so they invited us over to see their Christmas decorations. And of course, they were, this was after Thanksgiving. They were a Christmas truther, you know, not before Thanksgiving. And, and so we showed up, and even outside, starting in, it was as if the North Pole had thrown up all over their house. I mean, where you think a family portrait would go was replaced for a Christmas picture. You know, what might have been on the, you know, the table right when you entered their home was, was replaced. Only Christmas. Every surface had Christmas decorations. Everywhere you looked. And even in the cupboard, they don't have regular plates anymore. Now it's Christmas plates, right? And, you know, two questions came to my mind. I guess I got very practical very quickly. Do you live like this all the time? Of course, no. They're not crazy people. But the second thing is, where do you put this stuff? Well, they answered, while it's here for three or four weeks a year, for 11 months a year, it has a storage unit just for itself. And so I started thinking about storage units. And you know, when you start thinking about them, you start seeing them. And I would challenge you today, whenever if you leave here and you go to lunch and you go home, just start looking for storage unit, unit facilities, and I promise you, you'll be surprised at how many there are. They are everywhere, everywhere you look. So keep a count. Count all on your way home today and see just how many there are. This subject of talking about our money and our stuff is difficult for a couple of reasons. It's difficult because in our culture, we don't like to talk about it. We, we, we think, this is mine, and, and this is a private matter, and I don't want anyone else to weigh in on this. It's challenging for that reason. It's also challenging for this reason. The culture that we live in is highly materialistic. I think you see that by the fact that, we've had, that we have so many storage units. Now, if you think I'm being judgmental here for a minute, let me be the first to say that I have had a storage unit, okay? And you may need that from time to time. But what I want us to see is that we have this pattern of being because we have been, in some ways, baptized into this culture that is highly materialistic. And I define that by saying it's when we make our material things an idol. 
When we ask our stuff to do something that it can never do. When we ask it to take a place in our life that it cannot hold. It's challenging. And I hope that we are a different kind of culture, a different kind of group here. But let's imagine for a minute that this church is just like, is full of average Americans. The Dave Ramsey Company has a tool for church leaders that you can put in the, your average attendance. And then it spits out some numbers just based on averages. If your church is average, then this is what your church looks like. So I did my best to, to put in Crosspoint's numbers, and this is what I said. If Crosspoint is average, then Crosspoint has somewhere around $1.5 million in credit card debt, somewhere around $2.8 million in student loans, and around $2.5 million in car loans. These are just averages, and there could be some good reasons that we even have these thing in our, things in our life. Again, this, this sermon is not about judgment, but it's about seeing the pattern that we're on. And so a lot of this, what happens is we get caught in a vicious cycle, don't we? It starts because we have a misaligned heart. Our heart is going after something that it should not be going after. Because things can never give you what you're looking for. It will never give you the joy or the peace that you're seeking. Only God can provide those things. And so what happens is we get in this cycle and we get on this path that we can't get out of. And so Dave Ramsey has this line he loves to use. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? And so many times I think that's where we are. So we tend to see our possessions, our money, our things exactly the same way that the world does. What I would like to put before you today is the challenge to choose a different master. To trade in money as our master for God. It's not going to be easy. So I have, a, I have some things that I want to put before you. Some ideas I would like to put before you with some habits, some, some spiritual practices for us today. This isn't an exhaustive list. It's not a perfect list. And you may have a better idea after this. But here's a couple things I'd like to put before you, starting with this. Number one, learn to be content. So in Matthew chapter 6, we have this passage about our stuff and whether or not we'll serve money or, we'll, or we will serve God. And right after that, Jesus says, and do not worry. And he doesn't offer that as a suggestion. He offers it as a command. Do not worry. And you may not understand the link immediately, but, this, but they go hand in hand, don't they? Because, see, we start to serve our things and our finances because we have worry. We worry, am I going to be taken care of? Am I going to have all that I need? And what Jesus says is, look at the birds of the air. They don't hoard up here. But, and yet God takes care of them. How much more does he love you than the birds? And if he'll take care of them, he'll take care of you. So don't worry. It's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easy to worry about things. When we talk about our stuff, when we talk about our worry, it really gets down to trust. Will you be someone that trusts God, that trusts that he will take care of you? Can you be content and rest in the fact that he will take care of you? And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus finishes this section and he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Don't seek the ways of the world. Don't seek the same thing that the world seeks after, but seek his kingdom 
and his righteousness. I think Jesus knew that we would be prone to this insatiable longing for more, that we would somehow doubt God, we would lack trust, and that we would want more. We would struggle to be content. By most metrics, John D. Rockefeller is the richest American still to this day to ever live. That if you adjust for today's dollars, he would have been worth at his height somewhere near $400 billion. The richest man maybe in the world at the time. And he was interviewed once and he was asked, how much money is enough? And he replied, just a little bit more. And you're sitting there going, man, if I were, if I were him... I'd be good, right? Why would I have need for anything more? Just a little bit more. By any metric, those of us sitting in here today, globally speaking, are wealthy. And yet I bet you've said something very similar. When will you stop worrying? When will you stop going for that which will not provide, which only God can provide? Well, just a little bit more. If I had just a little bit more, then I wouldn't need to worry I, would, I wouldn't have so many cares. I would be exactly where I want if I had just a little bit more. And if Rockefeller can be an example for you, there will never be. You will, only, you will always want a little bit more. It will always be challenging. So here's a couple practices for you today. I want to challenge you to do a couple things this week. To be content, to find the peace that you're seeking to be content, we're gonna need to practice one thing. We're gonna stop for just a minute, church. And I'm not sure what's going on here, but we're gonna stop and pray. All right, so let's, Let's offer a prayer together, church. Father, you know what's happening over here right now. God, we trust that you are here and present and at work. Father, we ask that you be with those that are already attending over here. That you will provide the healing that's needed and the peace that we need in this moment, God. Father, I ask that you will be with them. Lay your hands over there. Father, we put our trust in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to, this is not more important than that, but we'll talk while they attend over there. So, and let me just say again, this is not more important than that. So don't think that that's what this is about. But So here's the practice I would ask you to do this week. If we're going to learn to be people who are content, it's going to start with the practice of gratitude. So when you wake up 
first thing in the morning, before you get on your phone and, and do whatever it is you like to do on social media or whatever, or check your email, the first thing that we'll do is I want to challenge you this week on a post-it note or whatever to write down five things you're thankful for. Before you do anything else, five things you're thankful for. And before you go to bed, I'd like you to do the same thing. Even if you've had the worst day, even if, if that was your, your least favorite day at work or whatever it is you did, you have, you have five things you can be thankful for. Five things you can think about. And so that would be my challenge for you because as you start to practice gratitude, it starts to change your perspective. It starts to change how you view the world. And instead of thinking, I need just a little bit more, we'll start to think, I have enough. Look at what I have to be thankful for. It's really challenging to be a content person if all you think is I need a little bit more. And so if we're going to be content, we need to practice gratitude. The second thing, after you, as we learn to be more content, we also need to learn to simplify our life. Again, instead of thinking in terms of more and more and I need this or that, we need to learn to think, what if I had less? If I'm going to be a member of God's kingdom, what if I voluntarily cut back instead of try to add more? And you know this to be true. Even if it's something that doesn't matter to you, you know it takes your time and focus, doesn't it? How many of us have ever spent time fixing something that we don't even care about? Because we have so many things in our life that you spend time cleaning it up, organizing it, fixing it, and you're like, why do I even need this thing? So what if we lived a life of simplifying things rather than adding things? Because you know as well as I do that retail therapy doesn't work. (laughs) Have you ever had a day or a semester or a week that you just thought, you know what, I just need to buy something. I'll feel a lot better if I buy something. How long does it last? How long does that feeling last? It's just moments, right? Not as long as the debt. I think that's what somebody said. Uh, You know, if you just turn on a commercial today, you'll see all the things that you need in your life, the things that will make it better, but it won't, will it? So our oldest son, Stephen, is nine, and earlier this year, he was given uh, some Target gift cards, and he was very excited about this. And though he, there wasn't anything on his mind that he wanted, he knew, I got to go to Target and spend this money, right? And so we got there and we started going around every aisle in the toy aisle. And he wasn't looking for what he wanted. He was looking for, how much can I get to fit this dollar amount? And so every, every so often, he would find something that would almost be the right amount. And he would stop and he would say, well, what about this? And Savannah and I said, well, do you want that? Well, no. (sighs) So he went every aisle once, and he went every aisle twice. And we were there longer than I cared to be there. And he got through it, and and his shoulders sagged. He said, I don't want any of this. I said, that's okay. We'll just save it until you do want something. And I said, you know, this is a lesson that I have yet to learn that things in our life won't provide what we're looking for. No amount of money will bring you the peace that you seek, will give you the joy that you want in your life. 
There's no item, there's no amount of money that will bring that. So I said, it's a tough lesson, but you might start learning it today. So here's a couple of practices that I would challenge you to practice this week. And the first is this. Remove, give away, throw away, whatever, 10 items out of your home every day this week. Now, I was asked after first service to say... I was, I was asked after first service to say, not your spouse's items, <laughs> your items. So if you're like me, I thought, whenever I wrote this, I thought, well, what if I just did 70 items in one day and just got it over with? And what I would put before you, what I would ask you to do is, if instead of that, Do 10 items every day because we want to get in the habit of being content where we are, knowing that we don't need more, but we just need the things that we actually care about. And the second thing is like it. If there's something that you think you need or you want, I'm not talking about like replacing the brakes on your car or something, but the things that you think you need or want, instead of purchasing that fire pit right when you see it, What if you waited two weeks or 30 days? If you said, this is something I think I really want, I think I really need, what if instead you just waited? And if after that time, if you have the money, if you can responsibly purchase that thing, well then go ahead. But oftentimes you might realize, I don't need a fire pit in July in Texas. So the last thing I would put before you today is to be a generous and giving person. Be a generous and giving person. We are called to be this way because our God is generous and our God is giving. From the very beginning, this is who our God was. That God gave his, the thing that was of most value to him, which was his son. And so we respond similarly In view of God's mercy, in view of what God has done for us, we too want to be a giving person. So don't don't misunderstand me today. God is not upset about the amount of money you make or the things that you have. But what God doesn't want is he doesn't want you to hoard those things. He wants you to be giving and generous with what you have. See, God did not bless you just to bless you. God gave to you to bless others. And this is, again, very difficult for us because the pronouns that we use when we talk about our stuff and our finances, we use words like I and me and mine. We think in terms of this is ours, nobody else's. But in the first century, in the early church, what we see is a, very, is a much more communal view of our things and our stuff. Just read the book of Acts and you'll see that nobody had need because there were were radical gifts being given. In fact, even somebody once sold a field so that others would have what they needed. That's radical. That would be challenging. It was challenging then. It would be challenging now. It would be almost unheard of now, wouldn't it? And yet this is the example that we have before us. In the Bible and in church, we oftentimes use the word, we use the word stewardship. A lot of times we think in terms of ownership. But the Bible uses the word stewardship. 
So instead of thinking, this is mine to control, what if we said, this is God's, and I'm going to manage it for God? Well, we would think about our stuff differently, would we? wouldn't we? We would manage it in terms of how God wants us to manage it, not just how does this bless me, but how does this bless we? One of the early church fathers named Basil wrote this, which was very challenging to me, and said, when someone steals another's clothes, we call them a thief. Should we not give the same name to the one who could clothe the naked and does not? The bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat unused in your closet belongs to the one who needs it. The shoes rotting in your closet belong to the one who has no shoes. The money with which you hoard belongs to the poor. It's challenging, isn't it? See, we in turn think, we typically think in terms of, well, this percentage I'll give to God and the rest is mine. And what I think God wants us to see is that all of it has been given for us. Yes, he wants you to pay your bills. Yes, he wants you to do that which you need to do. But then it's not just for you to hoard. It's to bless another. We have to have this sense of community. When we say family, we mean family, and family takes care of family. You would not let your family go hungry, would you? Or maybe this connects better with you. Out of 1 John chapter 3, John writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. See, it all comes full circle. This is what we've been talking about this whole series. It's not about just having the idea. If you want to be the kind of person that loves other people, it has to be an action that you take. If you have the ability, if God has given you the ability to bless another, then that's what we're called to do. One of the things that I love most, though, about working at this church is that this is the kind of church that embodies this generosity. In my six-plus years here, I have never heard of a need that was not met, whether privately or publicly, that this church is a generous church and meets the needs that we have before us. Whatever we put before you, church, you seem to be able to meet it. So we have a school supply drive going on, and so many kids are going to be blessed because of you. And later we'll do our Thanksgiving meal drive, and not only can we do 150 Thanksgiving meals, but we always have leftover. We're always looking to give the rest somewhere else. People come by the church almost every single week, and we have the money because of what we do through the blue buckets that we're able to meet those needs. Church, this you're the kind of body that when the pandemic hit, our giving went up. Our ministry was not reduced during the pandemic. It grew during the pandemic. I am one that truly believes, and this is my sincere prayer, that the money that we give here on Sundays goes directly to somebody else knowing the name of Jesus. That's all that we're trying to do. We're not trying to build bigger buildings or have bigger budgets. It's not about us. It's about more people knowing who Jesus is. And even during the most challenging times of the recent past, this church gave more in that time. And so thank you for being that kind of church. This is who you are. So the challenge that I put before you is, is to continue to be that kind of church. 
And I, and I would ask you to adopt a prayer this week, that God would give you the eyes to see those in front of you, the people that you have been gifted to bless. There are people that come ac- across our path often that God says, you can help these people. I blessed you so that you can bless them. So that is our prayer this week, that when those people come across us, that we will answer God's call, that we'll put that love into action. There's a story in the Crusades about a group of of people going from Europe down to the Middle East to fight. But before they did, they were baptized into God's name. But when they were baptized, they did not want to go completely under, so they were baptized without their right arm because they were going to battle. And they wanted to be God's person except for the part that would not be God-honoring. And so they were baptized with their sword arm out of the water. And we've been in this series called I Give Up about surrender. And my question to you is, what are you holding out? What are you not giving over to God? Is it your time? Is it your relationships? Is it your wallet? You said, God, you can have everything else, but you can't have this. See, the call in this series is to say, I give up. God, I give it all over to you. That's who we want to be. So as we close this morning, I'm going to ask our shepherds to take their place on the wall. We want to be the kind of people who are actively praying that we will be transformed. That we will be the kind of people that are joining God. That we are joining him and saying, Jesus, I give up all things to you. Use me for your glory. That's our prayer today, church. And so as we close, I want us to say the Lord's Prayer together this morning. This is a prayer of submission, to join God where he is and to live the life that he calls us to. And so would you please be standing as we pray this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory, now and forever. Amen.